0: Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. It's kind of unfortunate that our podcast comes out exactly one week after we record it. Yeah. Because some days I record with you in the morning and then in the afternoon I'll listen to the episode from the previous week and I'm like, oh man, I totally repeated myself about that thing and I just forgot we talked about it. Right. Yep.
0: Yeah. The same thing happens to me. I try to take take notes about what I talked about, but sometimes I have like one bullet point. And so it's like,
1: well, eh, we'll see if I repeat myself. <laughs> yeah. So sorry to everyone if I am <laughs> repeating myself, but my memory kind of sucks and uh, I haven't had time to review the episodes. Uh, I'm sure no one cares. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, fingers crossed. So I have an update on a thing that I know everyone is interested in and worried about, Okay. which is right. how my Overwatch team did this week. Yeah. I've been uh, waiting we for had this a great, moment. <laughs> great session. Okay. Going into this, I felt like we had maybe we we're about to turn the corner because we had a couple rounds of coaching feedback, and we had sort of like the session where like we had the feedback but we're still all a mess. And this was like okay, things are starting to like click and gel. And we played eleven games and we won nine of them. Wow, yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, so it's uh, things are are starting to work. Cool. Yeah, so it's awesome. Getting better, things is super fun. I have a, a stupid aphorism. Uh, life lesson thing from, okay. from the game for <laughs> okay. everyone to package up into a <laughs> saccharine little bit of life advice. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Which is, you can get a really big advantage in this game by standing on the high ground. Mm-hmm. So like it's three-dimensional, and if you're up high above your enemy, you have a big advantage. And just that positioning is worth like a lot of skill. Hmm. So like rather than even getting better at the specific motions or tasks, you can just be standing in a better place, hmm. and get a big benefit from it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you know, fill in the blanks for that. You know. Yep. <laughs> your, your life lesson there. Chew on that for a little while. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I'm gonna write a really annoying blog post about this later.
0: Mm-hmm. Think,
1: Think peace. Though. That's good. I won't go on Clubhouse and talk about it. Oh, there you go. Yes. <laughs> lessons from lessons for life from video games or something. Yeah. 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 I like it. Um, also, apparently in one month from today, I become eligible for uh, the COVID vaccine, which is cool.
0: Oh, really? Like, did you get an official notification from your
1: health provider? Uh, Massachusetts is opening up general availability April 18th.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, Very so, cool.
1: So pretty soon. Nice. I expect it will take some time to actually get through the, the queue, but yep. I think I'm not the only one that wants it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's kind of nice. It's It's nice to have an explicit date on it. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's exciting, and I take it you'll just it'll just be whatever the first one
1: variant is available of the uh, brands. I th- I think so. Yeah, I think that's how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it might be the nineteenth, but yeah. Anyway, it's it's a month from today, so regardless, just having a date on it feels good.
0: Yeah, feels like progress. Seeing mm-hmm. that more and more, more and more people announcing totally. that they've they've gotten it.
1: I have a lot of friends uh, in education. My Facebook feed has a lot of people who've are now vaccinated, which is cool to see.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know a number of healthcare professionals, and most of them made it through it like late January, February, and yeah. So it's yeah, definitely feels good. Feels
1: like progress. Yeah, it's nice to have it not be rare for me to know like someone who's mm-hmm. gotten it or getting it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So that's that's cool. And we also have a a pretty cool milestone. Speaking of businesses, for a second, which is that Spencer did the first. Linux to Mac tuple call yesterday Ooh, it's exciting <laughs> yeah, new milestone uh, audio only unlocked <laughs> okay, audio <laughs> only for now mm-hmm. um, but it was you know like booted the app, signed into it, made a call, made the connection, and, and could hear could hear Mikey yeah, nice, yeah. so that's a pretty cool, pretty cool moment. The hello world moment for a new tuple exactly. client. yes, good, and so let's say it's it's mid March, I think we started this in like mid January maybe so I mean two months I think it's been basically his focus since then so it's it's pretty close to full-time but not entirely like he's definitely done some other stuff too two-ish months to get to this sort of first goalpost I feel feel pretty great about it, actually that's pretty good has he reported back on like whether this has been
0: a heavier lift or an easier lift than he originally anticipated
1: that's a good question um, I don't know how it compares to his expectations I know it has been kind of a good stress test of how is our like how do our libraries shaped, where the boundaries drawn, what's in a kind of common core that's shared between the apps. So I think this has actually been good for the Mac app as well because we've pulled more code out of that that's really just common. But I actually would be curious to hear if that was faster or slower than he expected it to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, experiencing a similar impact when I'm working on my new calendar integration. It's like pulling apart the boundaries teasing apart where the where the right abstractions should live and in the process like i'm catching a bunch of places where like oh we don't actually have great like error handling in this case and i'm needing to implement this same exact like progression of logic for a new client and i feel like we should have error handling here so everything's getting better everything's getting more consistent and that feels really good to be able to like make progress on a nice refactor and it makes it easier for for a new client and also like fixing little little edge cases and stuff.
1: Um, mm-hmm. it's nice. a side effect. Yeah it's interesting how having like a second anything causes some interesting like design pressure on your code.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's like, totally. It's like TDD make it like when now that you have like once you have tests become a client of your code, like another call, calling point of your code, it kind of will often improve the design. Like making something more testable often kind of just improves it generally because now it has to sort of answer to two, two types of, you know, use cases. Yep, it's good stuff. Yeah. So we're working on a big onboarding push uh, to ship in a couple of weeks that I think will help. So we have on the native side this like little sign-up wizard that's coming along really nicely because there's like, you know, Unfortunately, no easy way to provision permissions for an application that needs a bunch of things currently. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Which I would love to see. It would be nice to get a one-click. You know, this app is requesting ABC. One hopes Apple might move that way in the future. Like they've definitely gone towards the like requiring explicit opt-ins, right, for for permissions. And they have like a, a big permissions focus in iOS. Now has the latest version has this like big like permissions list or something. I think. Mm-hmm. that apps have to kind of declare what they're doing with your data and whatnot, their privacy thing. So it seems like they're like, okay, we want we want users to have to opt in to doing these things, which I'm all for. But then it does kind of feel like that section of the like preferences where you grant these permissions is awfully clunky.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating that people put up with that. It's like you just you click a thing and then it opens up like system preferences and then like things are like disabled. And then you like click. You have to like click in places and then things become enabled and yeah, it's
1: very janky. Click the lock to unlock the controls on this panel and and you have to do it piecemeal. That's the part that's particularly annoying. Like if you had to enter your password and and say yes to something, sure, but like it's it's like okay, over here now go over here now the app has to restart now go over here. It's mm-hmm. like oof click the plus button, scroll through a long list of things that you can't search, click the check mark. Like, it's just bleh. It's
0: like, it makes you wonder if they're doing a little bit of security through, like, obscurity, like, like making the process overly frictionful, you know? Yeah.
1: I, I heard some speculation that that might be kind of intentional. And so I get some of that. Like, if you just make it a single dialogue that you have to say yes to, maybe everyone just clicks it and they just train themselves to, like, ignore it. And splitting it out into more steps makes people slightly more discerning. But... Yeah, I don't know that I could totally buy that argument, honestly. I'm not sure that actually is legit. Well, because
0: I think that this this problem has been tackled for a while now as like OAuth flows is a good example of this where like you're requesting a certain certain permission scopes and like the way apps communicate, you know, these are the permissions you're granting to this thing. Are you sure? Like you can put really scary language in there and do things to to really give people pause or make them click a checkbox
1: or something like that to like force uh, people to think for a second, you know, there's ways to do it. I think the OAuth flow is pretty good. Like if I think about like authorizing something like a GitHub app or something like that, like, the, or like auth, it's like, here's the list, here's the things it can do. Are you cool with trusting this publisher? It's like, yeah, I, I think actually it's, it's pretty good. And like the argument of like, oh, they don't just want a thing that you're just going to say yes to automatically, but then they have the whole, this is an application downloaded from the internet. Right, <laughs> which is like, yeah, I know. That's <laughs> yeah. where applications come from. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, that that one really irks me every time that I feels see like, that.
0: That feels like a holdover from like oh, like two
1: thousand one or something. Like exactly. Like, yeah, this came from the entrance. internet. Yeah, yeah. Like just just had did like, not oh, come from me. a
0: compact disc. It came
1: over the wire. So yeah, this person <laughs> is not paying us thirty <laughs> percent. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So I would love to see that dialogue go away. Let's just assume I understand what the internet is and that I, I'm running something from it and then give me a one-click. You know, here's, or like a, yeah, here are all the permissions this thing wants. Do you want to do it? That's my wish list for next version of Mac OS. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so anyway, <laughs> we're making a wizard to walk people through this unfortunate process. Right, right. Uh, which will hopefully uh, help with that. And then we are also kind of doing a choose-your-own-adventure kind of sign-up page thing, which is hopefully maybe kind of a good idea. We'll see.
0: <laughs> What's the adventures
1: to choose from? Um, do you want to make your own new team? Do you want to join an existing team? Or do you want to just download the app? Mm-hmm. What we want to happen when someone wants to join an existing team is that they get an invite from somebody. Like someone just sends them a... We have you know, stuff, stuff in the UI to invite a person via email. Fairly frequently, people go and assume like, oh, we have a Tuple subscription, let me go get Tuple. And so they go there and they're like, where's the download link? I don't know. Uh, I don't see one. Let me just click sign up. Okay, wait, enter my credit card? What? And we end up with like five trials for the same company and four of them are on the person's personal credit card. And it's like, ah. I, I think there's probably like, the real fix for this is like big. It's like, probably requires like pricing changes or like, you know, like, do we require credit cards? What does the model look like? Does a user have to have a team? Like it is like kind of a, a major thing? And this is kind of like a can we ship something in a week and a half that uh, at least helps you know reduce the incident incidence of these problems.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've run into this a little bit less because I, I am kind of subject to the potentially the same dynamic with SavvyCal because people can. Generally, someone, if they're a team, a team administrator will create a team subscription and want to basically be financially responsible for all their team members. So usually the one person signs up and then sends the invite link. If a team member chooses to to auth, to like sign up basically, because it's like free for them to get into the app and then kind of paywalled inside, I think people are less likely to like start their own trial and have like multiple trials under one company going on. But it has happened before, but yeah, it's probably less common because of that. Because there's no credit card step on the initial, um, right?
1: Yeah, and that's when it gets like annoying for everybody because they're like, "What? I have to enter a credit card? This is stupid." So sometimes they do, and then they ask for like a refund or they like, you know, or they cancel. Like it's it just it makes things messy. Yep. I wish it were fine to like leak what your customers were. Because if someone could just enter their like, email address and I could just be like, yes, that company has a team, here you go, or something, uh, yeah. that would be handy. But you can't right. do that. Right. Uh, so we're, we're doing like, the next best thing, I think, which is like basically like, are you trying to join an existing team? Like, you can get an invite from somebody that's on it if you just know um, and skip this thing. Or if you want, enter your email here and if your company has a team, and if they've enabled people to join who have the right domain address, email thing, then we will send you an email. Yeah, yep. <laughs> but it's kind of just like, we can't say if we're going to, we can't say if we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like, maybe you have an email. <laughs> maybe go check. So like
0: password reset emails or something, where it's like, we sent it to you, unless you're a hacker, in which case we did not send it to you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I, I get why it has to be this way, but it's a, it is a bit unfortunate. Uh, we have to just speak in extremely vague and non-committal terms. Uh, and maybe occasionally it will work like magic and sometimes you might just not.
0: So. Didn't you have something in there where like you would show a checkbox if if there was an existing team at a certain point? Do I remember something like that? Like there was an option to join or
1: something? Right. So when you sign up, you can say, like allow anyone with a foo.com email to join this team. And then later if anyone signs up with that email, after confirming their email, we say, by the way, there is this other team. Do you want to just join that? And that has helped. Like That that happens pretty frequently. But it's, again, kind of a, a hack around. It sure would be nice if this just didn't happen at all. And, you know, there was a better data model maybe that supported this somehow. Yeah. Can we talk through, real quick, a uh, question about like
0: how you do your pricing and, like, team-based subscriptions versus individual. Generally speaking, like with SavvyCal, people want to, like I just mentioned, like create a team and then pay for all their team members. They don't want their individual team members to pay. A limitation that I put in, in the product is that if you're a team member, you just have like a team member subscription as opposed to your own subscription, you have all the paid permissions except you're not allowed to create more teams and invite more people. So you basically can't like daisy chain team subscriptions. Like, if I'm a member of the Tuple team, I can't just create a SavvyCal team and invite a bunch of other people by nature of being a paid member on your team.
1: And you can't invite more people to the
0: top-level team either. Right. Unless you're an administrator. If they mark you as an admin, then you can, you can grab that join link and share with other people. Um, okay. Yep. Basically, what that means is it's possible to be on a team and that team... Owner is paying for your seat. If it's me and you together, I'm paying for two seats of SavvyCal. But you also have your own SavvyCal account and theoretically, you can. if you want to create your own teams, you can create a subscription, so you can be paying also. But I would still pay for you under the current model because I own a team and it has you on it and that's two seats. So it's sort of like, in one sense, that's sort of double paying. Someone basically reached out and they were like, hey, I created this team with this other person. I know that guy has a paid account. Why do I have to pay? Because he's a member of my team. I made a one-off exception in this case. And then I feel like maybe one solution, and let me know if this sounds totally crazy, but one solution might be to like designate a billing mode on a team. So when you create it, it's either I'm financially responsible for everyone here or everyone has to pay for their own. If it's just a team, a quote-unquote team of external collaborators who are work, who want to work together sometimes and operate under one banner, but like basically don't want to, they want to spread out.
1: That feels pretty niche to me. Yeah. Like, I feel like you're, tell me if I'm wrong, it seems like your sweet spot customer is a company, a single company with a bunch of employees yeah, in it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think charging for people per team, even if they happen to be on another team, is fine. Like, I think you might get the occasional complaint about that one off discounts make sense there, like I just but I think that's just it's the, the simplification of it is is too good to give up to me to like to satisfy this other sort of use case, yeah, you're probably right i mean it hasn't it
0: hasn't been asked about like I kind of in the back of my mind don't know, and I haven't like run a query to try to figure out like are there a lot of people who are who like happen to be mistakenly double paying like a team member who who thinks they have to pay on their own, but then they're they also have you know, paid access by nature of being a
1: team member. I can be on like five teams, right? Sure, yep. Okay, yeah. And then each of those five team owners would pay for me as a paid user. Correct, yep. I, I just think that makes sense. Like if, if I've invited you to my team, I'm paying for you. If you happen to be on another team, I don't, re- I don't care. If you create this weird model, it's like if, if you then lost your paid status on another team, now I need to do some sort of action to start paying for you. yeah.
0: And that's the concern. That's like if you are just a a team member and you don't have your own subscription, when you look at your billing page, there's like an upgrade button, but then you also see like you re, you're receiving paid permissions as a member of the the following teams. And so you can always see like because I'm a member of any of these, like I'm I have paid access, basically.
1: Um I, I think GitHub works like this, right?
0: It's yeah, like your I think so. GitHub
1: account is yours. You can be added to various teams when you do that cost that team money. And if you're on multiple teams and you, you'll get charged for it multiple times, I, I think that's actually just okay. Like the, the benefit is flowing to each of those teams. Like each of them are paying to make sure that this person has the permissions or the rights or abilities that a paid user has. I think in a utopia, maybe you do you figure out some stuff, but like you have a limited number of features and complexity that you can that you should be taking on and I, I I don't think this one is the the right one personally. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's like if this becomes a really really common use case, but I kind of doubt it will be. And it's probably sort of like your your freelancer plan or whatever where it's like, yeah, some people do it, but it's not that it's not that common, right?
1: Yep. If someone is like doing enough research and noticing and emailing you about $12 a month. Right. It's like <laughs> is this the the kind of customer that you're most interested in satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. These types of decisions are are tricky. I
0: I like thought about it for like 10 minutes. I was like, "Well, what do I do here? Do I just say, "No, this is how our billing engine works. It's $12." So, for them, I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. It's $12, and also the same applies to me. It's $12 in revenue. It's not that big of a deal. So, now I just like got spent a couple minutes thinking about like how much mental energy should I even think about this? Maybe I should just err on the side of satisfying the customer and try not to like put any more time into thinking about it but also like trying to think through like what's the what's the quote-unquote correct way to solve this if it comes
1: up again yeah i would wait like i'm a big fan of kind of like throw a discount on there or like make this like throw a refund or whatever makes this particular situation go away and then just kind of keep tabs on it and you'll know if you're getting the request often enough that like supporting this kind of thing is is worth it um, at, at this point, I don't think you you do. Like, I think that solution, if it comes up
0: enough times, like, I feel like maybe having like a, a different mode, and maybe that's hidden for most people, like only able to be turned on administratively or something. Like, no one inherits paid permissions. Like, that might be a solution, but at least I have like a napkin <laughs> sketched out solution in my head. If it comes up, and I feel good like having that at least. Um, if it if it becomes a problem.
1: Yeah, anything that pushes your pricing, your like your billing system in towards complexity is probably yeah, yep. wrong ish most of the time mm-hmm. mm-hmm. requires a, a lot of justification. It's a smell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a smell. I like that exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So what else is going on with you besides billing quandaries?
0: Um, so we had <laughs> felt some effects of platform risk in the last week. <laughs> so on last Friday, I was just kind of routinely checking in on some things in the morning starting on my work day and i i popped open a log file and saw a bunch of strange errors from the google api and they're basically basically intermittently rate limiting me so and this is like kind of the worst thing that can happen right because because a big component of the product is making calls out to people's google calendars reading their events, seeing what times we need to block off on their scheduling links, and then when someone schedules, creating an event on their calendar. And all of that requires Google API requests. And so that was a frightening thing to see. You know, I opened up some scheduling links, started like QAing it right away, and it's like seemed to be working, but then I like finally got one to load that was like a little bit off. So I'm like, okay. So it's not happening across the board, and it's only intermittent. And so I went to the the google dashboard no no status errors at all like their status page was all green went into my administrative console basically and and kind of hunted down the area where where quotas are for APIs and like it had a graph of my usage and i peeked at like they allow you by default a million requests per day across all customers and I think like my peak usage had been a couple days prior, and it was like just over five hundred thousand. So plenty of headroom. No indicators in there that I had crossed, exceeded any quotas. Everything was all green. So I'm like, well, what do I do? You obviously can't just go and like call Google or even so email support
1: Google support at google.com, <laughs> right?
0: So I'm like, I'm like searching around, and these—it's crazy. These these administrative consoles for Google, uh, Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, they're all just, I mean, the ultimate kitchen sink junk drawer of panels and screens with lots of spinners and very slow and like, feels like there's a lot of duct tape in that CGI bin in the back, man. (laughs) So, So I finally like find my way to a place that appears to be the right spot to get support. And they're like, you like attach a billing account and you do a thing and a thing and then like you can request a certain tier of support and they're like, do you want gold or premium or silver? I'm like, I don't know. Give me the one that will get me to a human. So, so I just picked some package that was like $250 a month and click the button and they're like, cool, we'll be back to you within five days on whether you're like approved for this support package. Oh my God. So, Thanks. <laughs> So I'm like, well, what does one do in this situation but go throw a Hail Mary on Twitter, basically? (laughs) So that's what I did. I started asking around, like, does anybody know anyone at Google? Do I know anybody at Google that can help with this? And I'm like, you know, CCing um, developer relations people at Google and... I mean, thankfully, people kind of mobilized, like a couple of folks said, like, yeah, I, I, I'm in like a Slack channel that I there's some Google engineers in there, I'll like ping someone over there. And people just kind of were generally very helpful, which I really appreciated. One guy like messaged me privately, and he's runs a SaaS app that also integrates with Google Calendar. And he's like, hey, we have this Slack workspace where like a bunch of integrators just kind of, like it's not super active, but we're all in it so we can compare notes when something weird happens and so he like got me into there and we were we were kind of chatting back and forth and it's like that kind of stuff is really valuable because now now I'm part of this thing and like the next time something weird happens I can like put heads together with people who work at other calendaring companies who are also just trying to just trying to mitigate this platform risk element that we all have you know i kind of got some insights about how like how best to escalate things like there's like a public issue tracker that Google has and they're like, generally if you post something there, it gets their attention more quickly than like trying to go through the private support channels. And sure enough, so I, I like looked over in this like public issue tracker thing and someone had filed an issue the prior evening saying like, hey, we're starting to see some weird some weird rate limiting errors. And then there was kind of a pile on happening, a bunch of people just plus wanting it. So I knew I wasn't the only one and... <laughs> Right around the time that I was trying to set a course of action, I oh, and I did get during this time, like, thankfully, I got approved for my Google support package. Like, it happened pretty quickly. So, I think they're (laughs) just like, I guess, setting very low expectations, but probably generally approve things fast. You've been approved to pay us money. Exactly. I know. It's so bizarre. During this time, like I'm okay, I'm looking on this public issue tracker and then okay, I get approved, get the email. Cool, going in to file a, a support ticket. And oh, uh, if you have a support system, please never do this. So there's like you have to select like a category and a subcategory on what your issue is. And I literally spent like two minutes checking different categories because I couldn't find one that was like calendar API, like nothing seemed to indicate that. And so I just picked what I thought was the closest and sent it and didn't hear back anything for like a couple hours. That was kind of one thread going on. But in the meantime, over on this public issue tracker, finally someone from Google like chimed in and said, like, we have confirmed that there is an issue and we're looking into it. That was basically it. And like right around that time, it was around 10 a.m., my time, I'm watching my logs and the errors stopped. So... That was basically it. Like, I never got the only confirmation I got back. Like, finally, a couple hours later on the on the email support thing, someone a rep wrote back and they're like, "Looks like it's related to this thing." And it looks like someone there said that they're looking into it, and someone else reported that it's fixed. Are you seeing it as fixed? And I'm like, "Well, the errors have stopped. If that's what you want to know." And they're like, "Cool, sounds good." <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Yeah,
1: Huh. Yeah. That's man, that sounds extremely nerve-wracking.
0: Yeah, I was definitely I was ready for a bourbon at uh at
1: 11:30 in the morning. <laughs> what was the duration of all this? How long was this?
0: So, it had been happening probably intermittently overnight and it was happening in a way that I wasn't getting like alarm bells weren't sounding for me. So, I think it had been kind of intermittently going on for probably 8 hours or so. And thankfully it was it was Friday morning. And usage peaks on like Tuesday, Wednesday, and then starts to drop off heading towards the weekend. So I don't think I don't think any customers actually really noticed, but i was I was trying to be proactive. I posted it on the status page, and I sent an email out because I think a lot not a lot of customers are actually subscribed to the status page. So I was like, hey, this this is going on." And I really didn't hear anything back. And a couple of people were like, you know, thankful for the being kept in the loop, but like it wasn't. Didn't have a major business impact, which was good. But yeah, I was definitely, my nerves were, were fried after that.
1: <laughs> like no matter what, you have some sort of risk, right? Like you, everybody depends on somebody. When the thing you depend on isn't working, that's just, it's, it's brutal because you can't, you have all this like nerves and anxiety, but you can't do anything. Right, right. It's just, I hope they
0: fix it. So. Yeah. So I'm going to build up this, this like run book right this kind of like document that's like all right when things go down <laughs> with with google what are the steps that i take so i can just run a process probably keep a premium support package of some kind open just so that it's there when i need it and you know like post in this slack thing go check this public issue track like just kind of have a process down and there's really no other way to ascertain this other than like going through it so trying to like harvest some good things out of it
1: Maybe some monitoring changes on your end. Yeah, for
0: sure. So I set like a logging alert. Like if I start to see this this type of thing come through again, it's gonna send me an alert right away. I was wishing I had more like I need to get some like Prometheus or something set up so that I can just start sending metrics into a place and and spot like trends and we had all kinds of sophisticated stuff that we built up over time at Drip and now I'm kind of like wanting to get more rigorous in those areas, too, so I can can spot stuff.
1: Kind of a cool sign. Yeah, yeah.
0: When you need that, that means you're Mm -hmm. doing interesting enough things, I guess. Mm -hmm.
1: There are customers that care and are using the thing and going down matters. Yep, yep. It's almost a a good sign for the business. Yeah, yeah, I think so.
0: And then uh, another little story. So over the weekend was obviously the daylight savings time rollover. And... (laughs) Turns out there are some time zones in the world where like for a period of time it's impossible to compute a UTC offset. So <laughs> I need to dig into it more, but I think it's because it's ambiguous, like it just it it's impossible to say maybe just due to political boundaries or something. But like it's, it, surely
1: there's a time.
0: It, it is there's time there still. Yeah. My guess is like Okay, there's because the time zone database has 538 time zones in it, or something, and I think all? maybe some, <laughs> yeah, right, and maybe some of these zones like cross, they cross boundaries to the point where like the the Havana time zone is not a specific enough designator because some parts in this zone honor this shift and other parts don't, or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I need to dig into it more, but like. You know, obviously I rely on libraries that that just keep the most up to date time zone database stuff in it, and for whatever reason when i asked when I asked that database like what is the offset at this moment in time in this time zone, it gave me back an error like ambiguous we don't know oh, unable to no. compute <laughs> so, oh, God. so that did that disrupted some service for a period of time because like we have some code that like displays a drop down that shows offsets for a list of time zones and we compute those on the fly because they change as you know as daylight savings changes and so that was erroring out so that was that was a fun little flurry of errors to observe (laughs) i can't even tell how you resolve this i mean i think the the immediate term is like you know when displaying this list like if there's an error just kind of like show some kind of not a number type of thing like we don't know (laughs) Now if someone actually chooses one of these time zones and then someone tries to book something in one of those time zones at that time, I'm not sure at this point what we do. So <laughs> this is a to-do like this will come around, you know, once or twice a year, this particular flavor of problem. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but it's definitely on my list.
1: Gonna uh, sell the business before 6 months from now. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's the plan. Um, Perfect. I think that's best for everyone. Um, I think you need a thing that, that calls someone in that time zone and says, what time is it for you? <laughs> yeah. What does your watch say? A little
0: mechanical Turk, like, um, yeah, human automation. That's good.
1: Yeah. Yikes, non-deterministic times. That sounds, yep. That's even worse than I thought time zones were. Hmm. Like I thought it was really complicated, but at least you could always kind of know.
0: I've escaped a lot of the issues with time zone stuff because... I think a lot of times, like when you're building an app, you don't necessarily put a ton of emphasis on like needing to store things consistently. Like it it ends up being enough of an afterthought where like little bugs creep up over time. And like I definitely got out in front of a lot of them by like always explicitly casting to UTC, always storing in that format, always passing around what is now, like dependency injecting the definition of now everywhere so that I can under test conditions like provide what the current time is. And like I just have a lot that I thought that I deliberately put in place from the get-go to try to save myself like all these time zone nice. issues. Nice. Um, but then things like this happen and it's like, well, <laughs> what do you do?
1: That's, man, that's that's how I can tell you're a professional. Yeah. <laughs> you know what to be afraid of. Yeah, yeah.
0: Comes with experience, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. You are going to need some of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, semi stressful week at SavvyCal headquarters, it sounds like.
0: Yeah, a little bit. But the thing that made my week is getting my Microsoft publisher verification officially Ooh. checkmarked, which means okay. as soon as I want to, as soon as I'm ready to, I can, I can basically start opening up the, the Outlook integration. And we're getting damn close. Nice.
1: Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, hey, that sounds very promising.
0: Yeah, that was another. That was another like non-determinist. Like I don't know how long this is going to take. Is it going to be two weeks? Is it going to be two days? Who knows? Yeah. And yeah. it came back. Nice. So I'm stoked. Very
1: cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing how that goes. I assume you're planning like a whole launch for this at some point once yep. it's like beta tested and whatnot.
0: Yep. Yep. That all be in the plans.
1: Cool. Cool. We'll tune in later for more on that. I, I imagine. Yes, indeed. Cool. You ready to wrap? Let's wrap it. Notes of the show.
0: Notes of the show can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya.
1: Later.